welcome to episode four of Analytic Dice, the podcast where we, Gabe and Kevin, uh, cover a game we've never played before. And this month, for the month of October, we'll be covering Old Ones, Shagaths, and Riley OSR, a one-sheet uh, page of rules uh, pulled from the old-school Renaissance. This was uh, created by Bill King of Warhammer fame. So uh, stick with us and hear a little bit more of the discussion. And of course, uh, we'll hear some uh, uh, call-ins and respond to some call-ins from our friends. Stay tuned. Welcome to episode four of Analytic Dice, where tonight, or today, whenever you're listening to this, we cover OSR. Oh, it's not what you think. Old Ones, Shagaths, and Riley, a one-sheet RPG. Uh, so Gabe, uh, before we get to our calls, um, are you finally happy that we're covering uh, some real OSR? I mean, we did cover We Deal on Lead, but... Here we go back to uh, uh, back to the the old school uh, Renaissance here. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> I am so happy to be back in the OSR. Um, yeah, I don't. I actually don't. I don't know how how exactly to respond to. Are you happy to be back in the OSR? Because I think you might be referring to we began with tunnels and trolls, and that is indisputably OSR. <laughs> But that is that is such a diff, way different flavor to me than what we experienced here with the proper OSR. Oh, that's a good point to stop. So we'll listen about what proper OSR is in a moment. But <laughs> okay. let's first hear from some of our callers from last one. And, and we'll start with a call from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey, guys, Jason here. So I've listened to the first 20 minutes of your Chivalry and Sorcery episode covering the call-ins. <laughs> now you feel my pain. I'm kidding. I love getting call-ins. And I paused before you talk about Chivalry and Sorcery just to answer two things or comment on two things. One, I mentioned for helping somebody with We Deal and Lid. That's my buddy Joe Richter over the Hindsightless podcast. He's not part of the gaming and BS sphere, but he's a good guy, but he's also legally blind. He's visually impaired. And he can't read physical books anymore, and he has a hard time with a lot of PDFs. And he's also not as much into, like, homebrewing stuff. He tends to run Games Raw, which isn't anything wrong. He's been running Pathfinder 1, Wrath of the Righteous, for us for over a year. We've been going through that campaign, having a ton of fun. Uh, he actually ran the first Pathfinder 2 actual play campaign, homebrew campaign, on the Wheeler Woe podcast. But anyway... He he actually did reach out to the publisher we deal and led, and they sent him a text only file of the rules. So they were very receptive in helping him by sending him an accessible copy that he could the screen reader could read for him. But he just reached out to me because he knew, like I dabble with game design a little bit, and then I also tend to be familiar with the gunslinger and some of these other tropes. So we talked about how to adjust the game to feel a little bit more correct to Stephen King's world. And that's where we got talking about it. It's, we weren't looking at doing a, a dual GM thing or anything like that. Although I won't bore you during this call with that, I actually have talked to somebody about a project like that, doing dual GMing. So we'll come back to that another time. 
The other thing I want to mention really quickly, and I'll cut off, and I think this will be of interest, is that Barry, over the Strategy M podcast, he was in the game with me when we when we play tested. Uh, well, we, we didn't play test, but when we ran right after it came out um, against the Dark Master, and then we ended up going back to Merp. I ran against Dark Master, and then Barry ran a tenth level murder mystery using Merp, which was a lot of fun. But I don't remember why we decided to do Merp again and and instead of against Dark Master. Maybe Barry remembers, and he can call in and mention that on what we found that kind of turned us off on against Dark Master. But so with that prompt left hanging, like a, a chat in a Florida election, I will turn it back over to you. <laughs> well, that was oh. a fun call. And boy, oh man, that is I, I really so salacious. Your, your <laughs> face was great because I can actually see your, that was great during that call. Yeah, go ahead. What, what about these salacious comments? Well, I just, yeah, it's too bad that he can't remember. Uh, well, it's funny, the language, what turned us off that caused us to go back to Merp. I would say myself, my own experience is against the Dark Master really inspired me to look again at Merp because against the Dark Master showed me what one fantastic group of individuals has made of that rule set to update it now for the 21st century. And it made me want to reassess Merp um, on my own terms, if you will. Uh, Jason and I have had some communication just really briefly about when I mentioned I said something, he caught on something that, uh, oh, that's it. He was wondering why I didn't just invert the Dark Master tables or the Merp tables, same thing, right? When I had a preference for roll under percentile systems. And I said, I did, sorta. And it became a very different thing. And it is kind of like its own game that's never been play tested that just lives in my Google Drive right now. And I... I actually should maybe amend that because it wasn't against the Dark Master, but I decided to go back to Merp myself. I'm a, if I'm going to reinvent, I decided, why don't I just go back to my childhood game and uh, design from that, from that base? So maybe that's what Jason and Barry did. Maybe they weren't turned off so much as uh, they decided, hey, let's just look at this fantastic work of art that was produced in the 80s and uh, experience it again. Because there are some things I don't, I would, you and I both, Kevin, might be, okay, so what did you do about stun locking? Not like against the Dark Master has <laughs> fixed it, but you really want, oh, stun for seven rounds. Are you, <laughs> you gonna, you're going to keep track of that, even if that right, matters, right. right, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, Thanks, Jason. Yeah, and the only other comment I want to make with Jason, he makes a good point about accessibility of um, of documents. And I think, you know, we we look at a lot of these uh, RPG books now really come out as art books, right? The layout, everything else, the 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 art in there, the 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 fonts that are all in strange places scattered around the page. Visually, they look great. Reading sometimes they're a little bit tough to do. And I imagine for those who need, uh, you know, uh, assistance in, in reading that having an accessible document is key. So it's really great to hear that the folks at, uh, who produce We Deal and Lead, uh, um, uh, you know, did a, did a great job in providing that accessible copy. 
And I, I guess I've got to keep a reminder for myself to make sure in any assets on drive through RPG when we upload stuff that we make sure there's uh, an accessible copy that is um, up there. So I appreciate that reminder. Uh, anyhow, let's go to call number two. And call number two comes from our friend Harrigan. Let's hear what he has to say. Kevin and Gabe, this is Harrigan. Thanks for playing my call on your show last time, and I apologize for how long it was. It was uh, a little longer than I intended. I'll leave you a shorter message this time, and it's simply this. Thank you for playing Chivalry and Sorcery so that I don't have to. And, you know, Gabe, I'm glad you're cracking up because when I got that call, I laughed pretty hard. We all know Harrigan's preferences, so that's uh, delightful. That is delightful. <laughs> I never expected Harrigan to play it anyway. So thank you, Harrigan, for us affirming you in your choices through our own report. Yeah, and before we go to our final call uh, for tonight, I, I will say that um, – what was great about playing Old One Shigas and Riley, this OSR one sheet game, we, we actually had the pleasure of gaming with Harrigan in that game. So uh, Gabe played, myself, I ran it um, because I introduced OS, this OSR game and Harrigan played along with uh, Brian Courtmanch. So the uh, uh, the four of us played and and I thought I had a great time. So, But we'll talk about that more after this uh, next call from again from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey guys, Jason again. Finished the Silver and Sorcery episode. I have not played this game. It's one I'm aware of, but never actually got into, sadly. So don't have much to say aside from I also love physical books and prefer physical books for flipping and turning for rules. Be able to put your finger in the pages to hold a spot. And especially, like, I'm a big AD&D fan. And for AD&D, the rules are spread across multiple books. You're always having to flip and, flip and turn and reach for different books. Rollmaster. Yep, I do love percentile dice. I, I enjoy Rollmaster. I won't anybody's ever been a flop rollmaster where they've changed it to low roll keeping the open-ended rolls it, it would take some tinkering to make that work i don't know how realistic that is um funny enough one of the things i love about stay frosty is you always roll high but stay frosty is you're rolling against attributes on a d20 where rollmaster i have to agree that rolling high kind of defeats the advantage of percentile dice where you know, the math is easy when you see the number, you know, what your percentage chance is. So I, I can see the issue there. Anyway, great, great episode. Looking forward to the next one. All right. Well, those are our calls, you know, just those uh, those uh, two calls from Jason, one from Harrigan. So uh, any thoughts, Gabe? Well, yeah, <laughs> two calls about chivalry and sorcery. Uh, I'm probably going to play it again, and probably you are too, Kevin, because I backed the recent Chivalry and Sorcery Kickstarter, um, Dark Ages, Arthur, Dark Ages Arthur, specifically, So, um, which is a little bit earlier than kind of the default mode for Chivalry and Sorcery's simulationist medieval role-playing experience. 
It still has 21 days left. Dukes Bellorum, um, the age of Arthur. And I well, kickstarted it. Well, board. it's not Kickstarter. I mean, it's on backer kit. Oh, it's backer on backer kit. kit. And um, and uh, Kevin said it looked great, so I went ahead. I didn't. I didn't support. So I keep collecting the chivalry and sorcery stuff, Kevin. I yeah. didn't get the latest, the one just before this, because it was like Marrakesh or something. It was basically okay. um, a source book for their fantasy, their default fantasy world. I default is weird because the default weird, the default world is one with like Muslims and Jews and Christians and medieval Europe and um, Northern European Europe and uh, elves and dwarves and orcs for some reason. That oh, you can have if you so choose, right? As you pointed so out, historical, <laughs> and right. then super historical, and it's a total accident, right? Because it's people. I mean, the era that it came out, it came out alongside D and D, and everyone else was putting out. I mean, sure. everyone wanted their elves and dwarves in their fantasy. That was just how it was. So that's yeah, why that's that's, that's, it, that's interesting. Theory. Yeah, I, I think that you know, I I would definitely be on board on playing the whole. Uh, uh, dark ages uh chivalry and sorcery i'd give that a go uh but i i, I probably would want to keep it uh, more historical honestly oh totally yep it'll be so that's what this is uh, duke's Bellorum, dark age arthur and it's a uh, it'll be historical simulationist right, for that era mm-hmm. so of course that's a that's a lot of discussion and conversation about our our last episode chivalry and sorcery uh that where we uh talked about uh that system which is uh you know a a pretty intense system with uh rules that are uh take a little take a little effort to master Uh, so anyway episode four which we're on now is totally the opposite we went from this rules heavy kind of game uh with a lot of detail to a one sheet um uh, uh, uh rpg old ones shigats and riley and this is a uh one sheet rule set um and you can get uh you can get it uh, uh free it's written by um it, it, it's written by william king released under the creative commons 4.0 international license and you know he says you're free to share it adapt it anything you want and uh so yeah so here we are, and this, of course, is um, a, 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 an OSR. It's a Lovecraftian uh, pulp adventure uh, rule set. Uh, so, uh, and and we uh, we played through a a session of it. And I guess I should go back to why did why did I offer this up? Why did I offer up this OSR game? Well, folks, uh, I went to ShireCon in Connecticut, USA. And at ShireCon, I uh, played some games with some great folks like uh, Joey Royale and um, Brian Courtmanch, among others. And Brian and I uh, got talking and we were talking about rules light stuff because, of course, I was there peddling my Burn 2D6 rule set. And again, so go to Drive Through RPG and check for Burn 2D6. But anyhow, Brian and I got talking. He said, hey, you should really check out this OSR. And I said, OSR? He said, yeah, old one Shigasam Riley. And I said, wow, uh, a one sheet, I, I will. And so I, I went home, downloaded it, read through it, took me about a minute and a half uh, and said, wow, this would be really fun to run. 
you know, it's the kind of game and, and kind of rule set that really is OSR. And I guess this goes into answering uh, the question I posed to Gabe, like, what is OSR? And for me, what OSR is, um, is a, a, a rule set that is um, uh, made to help guide your play, uh, but is more about player GM interaction and is rulings over rules. But with that, I mean, seeing that we're we're calling this OSR, not just because the game is old one, Shigasam Riley, but that it evokes like an OSR uh, style to it. What do you think, Gabe? For you, what is OSR? That's, dude, you can't just drop that when we're going to talk about an actual game in this episode in 40, 45 minutes. Um, that is That is a whole discussion. Uh, everyone's welcome to come to uh, the gaming and BS discords and listen to us <laughs> perennially bring it up uh, with quite a bit of frequency and rehash our, our old arguments and everything. We could almost even just jump back to, I mean, there's so there's, there's so many permutations of it and I, I'm going to maybe dodge the question and I will accept. No, you did. You, you dodged it. You're doing a good job. I will, I will accept dodging. Kevin, I will accept, um, what you just said about it rulings over rules as one generally accepted aspect of what goes into defining the many permutations or aspects of this large umbrella term yeah which is osr but this game is osr because it is it the, it's the name of it old one shagoths and roulette or how we were trying to figure <laughs> out how to pronounce this stuff and i don't know if there's a a standard one because these are all made up things out of the uh, mind of Howard Phillips Lovecraft, a weird tales writer from uh, the pulp era, of course. If you don't know about him, go check him out. There's quite, <laughs> he's quite influential. But this is in the public domain now, too. You can download all oh, those totally. stories. It's all there. Yep. So, yeah, and there's a number of games, uh, hugely influential in, in all sorts of media, including our gaming culture. And this one, Old One Shagafson, Rule is osr and what it is kevin would agree with me is it's taking the original rules of the original game and modifying them in some interesting ways to create a i would say sure it's one sheet i would say a two page because it's on both sides of a sheet that's two right. page two page rule set that uh you could just 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 start running start playing and of course the other great thing about uh the osr is that i i've often said is kind of our lingua franca of gaming most people who have been in the gaming world for a while have played some iteration of the quote unquote the original game i borrow that from matt finch uh who is the writer of swords and wizardry Mythmere games is his company and um i call it the original game and we know this. We know these things. Saving throws, hit dice, um, a D20 resolution, core mechanic. We all know this. All right. Well, you covered it. You didn't dodge it. You went right in. So, you know, what we'll do in the in the show notes, of course, we'll have the link so that folks can download this one sheet and, and take a look at it. Um, definitely fun. I mean, the, in the one sheet, two sides of one sheet, um, you know, it covers character creation and in character creation, you really have three stats. You have strength, dexterity, and intelligence. 
You get three points that you divide any way you want between those three stats. You have hit points where you're rolling a 3d3 to find out how many you have. You choose a profession. And of course, this has to do with what do you know and how easy are things for you. Um, and, you know, there are rules on weapons, on uh, magic books, and how do you how do you maybe do some supernatural stuff? Um, you know, quick rules on how to do stuff, you know, in the game uh, and uh, rules on fear, which really played into our session of the game, uh, morale, advancement, and then some nice quick stats. All the, all the monsters in this are based on just their hit dice, you know, whatever, hit dice uh, two, hit dice one, whatever. And that has a lot to do with how they, how they're operationalized in the game. So what we did was uh, a quick one shot where I, I set up a scenario in um, uh, Providence, Rhode Island in the 1920s. And we had uh, three uh, characters running through this, a college professor, a groundskeeper at the college and a student of the college. And uh, they happened upon a, a mystery uh, and and the mystery that I created was essentially um, uh, uh, an apparent murder, uh, which was really uh, had a lot more going on in it than uh, what first appeared. Right. Supernatural goings on. And our our three players investigated this. Uh, and what was great about it is we got to test how these rules really work as you apply them. I mean, the first thing we had folks doing was, was trying to get through a door, uh, uh, trying to uh, investigate a room. What could they find? Running after a moving car to try to see if you could stop it and uh, and and use a, a, rake, a rake into the steering wheel like everyone remember the club? You, you put it into your, you know, you lock your steering wheel, steering wheel if you're old enough so no one could steal your car like the old club. But anyhow, I, I thought it was a good uh, a test of doing some quick, uh, quick rolls to see how things worked out. And I thought it was, it's pretty seamless, right? And that's when you go back to uh, simple rules, three stats, and uh, as you said, a D20 and you're rolling this. Uh, these are not these are not hard things to figure out, like, you know, a difficulty level and then have people have people roll and, and see what happens. So um, I, I enjoyed it from a from a, a game runner standpoint, you know, going back to uh, two pages of rules, a one sheet um, is great. Um, all the players and the GM can read the rules ahead of time and, and, and then you're off to the races uh, with fully developed characters and um really implementing rules in a way where um, your character can really do anything they want and you're adapting these limited rules to the situation rather than as we had the experience in another game that will remain nameless that we've been messing around we're deep in the rule book where you're trying to figure out oh yeah if you do that how do you do it and you're consulting back and forth with the rules which may be enjoyable but you know honestly it does break the uh the fiction uh, for me when we're sitting there going back and forth with rules and rulings. So anyway, really enjoyed that aspect of it. 
And uh, I don't, I don't know. I, from a player perspective, what did you think, Gabe? And I'm going to give it away though before Gabe, Gabe, Gabe died. Well, his character died in the game. So let, let's see if it, there's some uh, sour grapes there. No. Nah, not <laughs> none at all. As I, as I, uh, off. I mean, more than once, I think I've told Kevin, I have no, I have no precious characters. My characters are not precious. And this was, I mean, my characters should die. Characters should die. From from the player perspective, I I had well, I'll I'll preface this by, it's an OSR game. When you when you're relying on rulings, not rules, and people are people argue. I are I willingly argue with people over this all the time because, you know, it's this game, Old One Shagas and Rilla, the OSR that so many people are so excited about. Of course, I'm talking about the movement, the OSR movement. There are a number of people out there who there there's the, the what would be the uh the rhetoric is like this is the only we know it yeah the one and true way of gaming there's a bunch of rhetoric out there that osr is the one true way of gaming and they don't need all those rules um trust your gm rulings not rules trust your gm just work it out at the table that's all great. And I love playing that way. My, some of my favorite experiences have been what's most dear to my heart, uh, Swords and Wizardry, um, which is an OSR game. But I, I am always um, asserting that that style of play only works if the rulings are fair. And even that is subjective. <laughs> so, right, sure. I, I had a great time, Kevin, and that's a testament to you as the GM. Well, thank you. Because your rulings were, I, I, was, I was satisfied with them. But when I'm dealing with a wide open rule set too many times, I'm kind of sitting there, I'm like, ah, okay, fine, you're the GM. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, the GM. <laughs> You know, Thanks for another goes, right? arbitrary ruling. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so, and so <laughs> that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah. Now, uh, so, but what is actually on the sheet? Um, from a player perspective, I had, I had great fun. I had great fun making my character. Some of the, so what is interesting about a game like this is how brief it is. So, you know, what the, what the writer has done to just really present it sure. with such concision, that's the form. There you go. The form is one thing to marvel at. And then the design choices. Uh, so first, how do you get it all into two pages? The Specifically, the boundaries. And then secondly, how have you adapted the lingua franca, the original game, what we all know so well, to do um, specifically an emulation of the works of Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, and that Cthulhu stuff. And I found some of these choices really, really, really interesting. Uh, reducing it down to the three stats that you pointed out, Kevin. Right. And just getting rid of that, that you don't roll those stats. It's not a 3D6 bell curve for that. It's uh, you just have three points and you decide, do you have a plus one in dexterity, in all strength, dexterity, intelligence, or are you going to monkey with those a little bit? I like the little, I like the gear that uh, you get to choose, choose three items and you can choose a weapon, medical kit, torches, various things, uh, make something up, right? Uh, clear it, make sure your GM allows it if you're going to make something up. 
And what, and I think what was most interesting for me was the hit die. Your starting hit points are 3d3. That's how many hit points you have. Now, to put that in perspective, why did I die so easily <laughs> is because monsters, oh, the damage they do, uh, where was it in here? It's like, it's basically uh, their hit die. I think it's their hit die. Yeah, it's like what the they do. Die, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it that. does not. Oh, here it is. Um, uh, no, yeah, it's somewhere gotta, in there. We gotta keep oh, yeah, here it is. Monsters do one plus hit die damage. So it's right, their hit one die plus, hit plus die one, damage. just yep. straight up. <laughs> and yeah. it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I think that was great. Well, how fun. many hit and points the, did you have again? I don't a couple. You had like three? I, did you yeah. have like three or four or something? I think I had three. <laughs> I think I did have three. I think you I rolled three D three and I rolled three. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't care. I think that yeah. was that was great. I played I played a professor, you know, that was you know working for tenure. And um <laughs> Harrigan played a, a grad assistant, you know, so we knew each other in that way. Uh, so the role playing was rich as it often is when you have to just describe what you're doing, right? And think and think the solutions through instead of rolling one d twenty and adding something to it, which Kevin would ask for. Of course, that's the ruling when Kevin deems that something requires such a role. If uh, apparently I be, was fair, and you were fair <laughs> about that, Kevin, good work, right? So from the player perspective, yeah. I liked I liked the threat. I liked the risk. It did actually largely a testament to you because again we have to rely on the gm to tell a story that evokes the fictions that we're trying to tell the rules here are not just going to do it just because they're here in a in a in a very short game like this so we need to know what it is we're trying to do and i think the rules supported that um with a fair with a fair and um inspiring referee who would you know so and i should have died and it was great uh you die i mean even the weapons i mean so you know consider you have 3d3 hit points and the weapons do stuff like uh i don't know they're in here somewhere i mean they just kind of wreck people pretty quick too which makes sense yeah um in my view well i i think that you know it, it this type of system um it, because it is let and rules and and there is no setting for it it definitely is uh gm dependent uh for all, all of those pieces and uh, creating you know that 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 lovecraftian horror piece is is um tough to do and i because it's the way i think of it it it's like realistic horror right it's 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 not it's not superheroes it's not um it's not funny right it, it's not it's not buffy it's not supernatural it's not right? buffy it's not supernatural like it's this other thing and um so you know a little bit of mystery where mostly you never see anything bad right the things that are bad are in the darkness or around the corner and if you ever do run up against the thing, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a tough moment, which which your character faced, right? Your character ended up uh, facing uh, one of the threats within this uh, scenario, and um, it, and and it didn't end well, right? 
Oh yeah. And I think that that was a standout in the system. That would be fear. It's just called fear here in these rules. But before I get there, I did find the weapons. Oh yeah. Um, A light weapon and light weapons are uh, pistols, knives. Um, They do a D six in damage. And remember your hit points are three D three and a medium weapon does D eight heavy weapons do D 10, you know? So uh, so yeah, you, you're taking you damage. Hit, if you get hit, you're in trouble. And I want, and, and maybe I want to sidebar that for a second because I do yeah. want to look at the fear mechanic. The fear mechanic was great, and it was totally evocative. Um, right. You just what Kevin says. You're not. I mean, in in lo- like just reading the wrong book, just con- just considering the implications of a you know um, indifferent cosmos full of these things, these un- incomprehensible terrors um, are, could drive you mad. And so when you do encounter the other in a Lovecraftian tale and in this game, um, you basically have to, you ha- for the first time, you have to make an int save against 10 plus the monster HD or in other situations, right. whatever the referee thinks the save should be. So remember, you're rolling a d20 and you're adding one two or three for starting characters do that to try to get above whatever 10 plus it's better than 50 50 (laughs) not no i would argue no so (laughs) and so here's the chance so um if you fail on an even numbered fail there's two things that happen if you fail on an even numbered fail result you flee the monster if possible uh, you can only roll defense and saves against the monster with disadvantage. Oh, this is so new school. It has this disadvantage mechanic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and advantage mechanic. Secondly, on an odd-numbered fail, uh, you remain paralyzed in place with fear. No defense rolls are possible. Right. Things things go pretty quick. Uh, one, once the horror comes out, That's and right. all, I mean, you're just you're cheering. You're happy and excited if you succeed this fear roll because the it's it's not going to go well it just won't if you don't yeah it didn't go well did it (laughs) no and it was great it was glorious yeah Yeah, you you (laughs) failed your fear roll but you got an even numbered uh fail uh uh, roll so you were able to flee but then you had disadvantage on saves against the monster and right and that and that pretty much did it for you uh the monster pursued you (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah and and that's all she wrote in a in a dark um in a dark place under the armory that was all of the professor and of course Ooh. it's part of this is because we split the party you split the um, party oh. and i because i was just i was just i was professorial curious i just had to yeah know. you I just couldn't. had to do it you just had to do it. And I, I think what's funny is we knew we were playing this for probably one shot. We're trying to do a second session, but I think also your professor was making moves because in real life, I think you were looking at the clock going, let's go. Were you? Oh, well, yeah, in part. We could talk about that, yeah. you know, about game, about play culture, about yeah, whether that's yeah. a we i did know this was a one shot i did want i wanted to make it rain i wanted to make things happen <laughs> um i didn't know yeah i didn't know if we were going to yeah. try to spin up a second a second session i'm still um i'm still posting in uh, kevin's discord server about how no he has to retroactively because where he left it with my character dead 
was yeah. also witnessing something awful and they have not made fear they have saves. Not, they start the next and i keep saying dude saves. just yeah. retroactively make those fear yeah. saves and it could be done we don't we won't even have That's a right. second session it, it could be a short five minute are. session <laughs> right exactly <laughs> It's probably going to go so quick, no matter what. So, anyways, that's that's my argument. Uh, I have I have one thing to say about this. Um, one more observation to make about this. Um, maybe after we hear a little bit more from you, Kevin, have you said uh, how did? Uh, well, what did? How did this feel to you? Here's a question for you as the GM. Yeah, sure. Hey, you're you are the creator of burn 2d6 and the ceo of your own company um <laughs> what you you are no uh stranger to rules light systems being a, a producer and creator of one of them you're on your own yeah. what was it what was it like to run this rules light system what um what stood out to you what maybe would you have done different what uh, maybe mm. has informed your own practice well, I think first of all, let's talk about rules. I, I think as uh, someone who runs games, I, I think, you know, frankly, uh, to be confident in running a game, to be able to focus on what the players are doing and the story of the game and the setting, you have to have a certain level of rules mastery. Uh, if you don't, uh, it, it, it's very hard for you to run a game when you're so concerned about the rules and the roles and what's great about a, a two sides of a paper game, uh, you can read this, uh, spend 10 minutes, study it, make some quick notes on the sheet. And frankly, you've mastered it. So now you're running a game, you have complete mastery of the rules. And let's say there is a hiccup somewhere and someone has to look something up. It's going to take all of 10 seconds. So part of the load of, of, preparing for a game and a big part of the load i i would say is rules mastery for the gm uh, understanding the rules and the more uh, the more volumes a a system has the more um options a system has the more mastery that i think a, a gm really has to have or the rules are going to interrupt play and and break the suspense or whatever you're trying to build in the game. And, and so what I enjoy about a rule system like that, and all rules light systems are the ability of a GM and players to just be able to master the rules and then invest themselves in, in the characters and the storytelling. And, and that's, that's what I like about it. And I'm not saying it's only rules light. There are certain systems that we've mentioned here before, like Gabe's favorite rule system, 2D20 Conan. And, you know, you can get to a point with a rule system like Conan 2D20 where it's a more complicated rule set. But once you master it, you're not thinking about the rules. You're really not. And it becomes second nature as well. And it doesn't interrupt the narrative. So I'm not saying it's only rules light, but I'm just saying for something like this. So that's my first thing as a, a GM in running it was that. And that that made it easy. And it made it easier for me to run this, run the game. Now, you know, my, on something like this, uh, you know, I tried to pick a, uh, a setting that's more familiar to me that I can easily run. So uh, I'm up here in New England. So I picked uh, Providence, uh, Rhode Island. I've been to Providence, so I could kind of 
ken a little bit of of what that would be like for them to be running around in it and uh you know i looked up a map online of 1920s providence to get a good idea of what it might be like and then um you know i i, I read an old um uh lovecraftian story uh about um uh, a, a a certain uh uh, horribleness or story and, and really based what I did on ripping off all of that stuff. But, um, so for me, and I got into this on, again, you mentioned the BS or discord a little bit, my game prep is a little bit different than a lot of other folks in that, um, I don't plot out a complete adventure. I plot out a problem. So, what is the problem that's going on that you might choose to address? And then I'm going to give you like uh, clues or something to confront you so you can make a decision whether or not to handle it. And if you don't, we'll do something else, whatever, but that's it. And then there's this problem and I have a pretty good idea of uh, what's going on with the problem and who's involved in, in my head and the geography and everything. But other than that, I just go with what the player's decisions are. So when you don't have to plan every single thing, because I do not, I rely on the players to tell me what they're doing. And then I just react in understanding what's going on in the background, allowing them to investigate it. Frankly, it's pretty easy to run um, because if you decide, well, you know, we're going to leave the college and we're going to go to and whatever a diner sure you know that that's fine i make up a diner and we do it maybe i didn't think there was going to be one but now there is i mean it'll it all works as as you investigate what you're going to do and i still have in my head probably uh, a few set pieces i've thought about it at a time like a subterranean area uh you know that you ended up finding um you know so I don't know. I, I've probably gone far afield from the question, but I find a rules light system like this allows me to, to run a game the way I want, which is having mastery of the rules and to be able to focus on uh, being player centric in listening to what the players are doing, how they're confronting a challenge, uh, making it, making it challenging, making it exciting, making it, uh, I don't know, fearful, walking around in the dark. And hopefully at times surprising. Um, you know, I doubt that your professor, when he slid back <laughs> the coffin, expected to see exactly what he saw. I did not expect to see that. <laughs> and it was probably, and it all happened very quickly. And it was probably a, a, a bit of a surprise for, if not you, for the other players as they were off screen uh, essentially just listening to what was happening because they they weren't there yeah you know so anyhow but, I, I don't yeah know. it sounds like um nothing got in your way it was i went maybe maybe a comfy system is the wrong way to characterize it but it was a it was a a clean system for you and it just yeah. it ran smoothly yeah perfect so what else do we have to say about um I don't know. Yeah, I had one more thing to say about it, but I don't know if we didn't explore it well much. I mean, there was a yeah. forbidden book in the game. The there the was. very as far as the 
you got character creation on the sheet, auto fire weapons, and then forbidden books. So if we're going to, uh, you know, create a hierarchy of things based on, you know, where they show up and maybe we shouldn't because of course, eldritch horrors are last because that's where the bestiaries always go at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. But anyways, it's, it's difficult, but forbidden books and, with a lot of uh, these OSR sets, and now I'm not talking about old ones and Shagoths and Roulette, but like just when people use the original game to rethink gaming, I'm curious what they do with magic. And I am a bit surprised at how there are, there's just, there's five spells. <laughs> so there's five spells here. Um, you To do it, this, it contains an each spell book contains an individual spell which you can cast once a day. Um, you hold it in both hands. You must read it aloud. Your intelligence must be equal to the level of the spell. Remember, your intelligence will be yeah. one, two, or three for a starting character. Um, and then that's it. it. It's a lot like Vancian spells. You can there's restless slumber, which is sleep. Put four hit dice of monsters asleep. For as many rounds as your intelligence, there's healing to heal D8 hit points of damage. It's called Stitch Flesh. It's evocative, but hmm. uh, Eldritch Luminescence, that's light. Uh, fearful Translucence, you can become invisible. And then Loathsome Vortex, you can just do damage uh, per 1d6 damage per right. your point of intelligence to D4 near targets. But and if you if you remember in the game, you had a book, and it was not one of those because I right. made it up. Well, see, there you go. See, in some ways, Kevin, my referee made a better ruling, perhaps than rules is written. I guess my only I, this is my this is my design question is I'm wondering why this is not more Lovecraftian. I mm. I can see Lovecraftian characters using secrets of the outer dark you sure. know eldritch intelligence that you know yeah things that they're not supposed to know but as we've established here in this very podcast um the tone of these tales are you're not supposed to know them they're damaging to your mind and as i pour over this part here what i see are D D spells ah, um, with with very little risk in their use right it's it's easily fixed. I mean, once if once you read the tome, people should have to make a fear save. Now, of course, the results of the fear save on, on a failed save are not going to be the same. You're not going to run away from the book or be paralyzed. It's it's and it'll, or it'll be you know inconsequential, especially if there's nothing there to hurt you. And so it would have to be something else. But uh, hey, I'm not the designer of this game. It's something if we were to play this game, yeah. this is, that yeah. would definitely be maybe something for us to explore. Uh, yeah, if you, we agree, you're, you're kind of alluding to that sanity. We needed a different kind tune, of, a different tone. Yep, I am that, alluding to sanity. Yeah, yeah. and Call so of Cthulhu has a sanity, yeah. you know, level. Right, there is nothing equivalent here for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I, I I think that in in a in a rules like game like this. Uh, you, you, I would argue you don't need it because I, I think it's up to the GM to set that for you, um, and and how that works with your character. I mean, over over time, uh, you know, are you going to be uh, more vulnerable to certain horrors um, uh, as you 
as you reach an HD six horror, what's going to happen to you? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if you necessarily need the sanity uh, feature when frankly um, you're probably more likely to be killed by a gunshot wound or um, a baseball bat or anything in this game because the damage can be so deadly. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if sanity in this rule set would be the thing that got you. I don't disagree there. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying it just doesn't taste. It doesn't taste of yeah. Lovecraft. Okay. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> I, I I got you. I don't know. I don't know. I I I think that um, the the way the the spells work. Like I would. I was already already thinking of changing it. So not books. But you have uh, you you find an artifact of some kind, right? You you are find it. Are you, you talking about a, for if we if we ran this if second ran, session? Yeah, All right. you find a tablet. Uh, you find some strange claw, that uh, severed claw, and and those things would allow uh, certain actions. Now they might sap your hit points in my game. But, you know, there's a cost for things, maybe. And, you know, uh, I don't know. So interesting. No, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I will say this. I'd say it when you want more complexity, that's when you have to go to a more complex rule set. I, I think, you know, rules like games are, are, are there uh, for a, a specific purpose, a specific reason. And when you want to get into more complexity around this, your character like sanity uh or or other rules um you you could you could easily add them to this i don't think it's osr be hard you, to, you make it up i that don't is, think it'd that's be hard. the osr tradition yeah. yep you make up your own rules yeah and you could easily say okay everyone you have not only do you have hit points but we're going to do sanity points too so and your sanity points are equal to whatever we could make that. Change. I love it. You just fixed it. You just fixed it, Kevin. In the OSR tradition. In the OSR tradition. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. did it. We should point out, because um, I know we keep this to a tidy 40, 45 minutes. Yeah. We should point out that William King is a cult figure himself. Indeed. He is the author of Gotrek and Felix, the highly esteemed Warhammer novels. From the black library that's right i have never i have never read but as a huge sword and sorcery fan people who love sword and sorcery love gotrek and felix they're like a sword and sorcery duo although looking at the cover i mean it's a it's a red bearded dwarf and then apparently a man but yeah academic me will have quibbles right about uh, how you know about demi-humans in my sword and sorcery but that's for that's for some other time, but anyways, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Bill so King this apparently is, is a is a famous, yeah. famous, famous writer, and he wrote this too, and 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 it's good, and it's good. But anyhow, that is, I think, for episode uh, for our coverage of OSR, old ones, Shagaths, and Riley, and and so Gabe, that's this month. What what's coming up next month? What what's going on? It's your pick. Well, well, no, yeah. Well, I'm going. I, I happen to mention on the air 
what I was considering a month ago and we had some calls in and someone requested um, that we play Diogo Nogueras. And I think I'm pronouncing his name, right? um, Lost in the fantasy world. Uh, Long time ago, fantasy world, long time ago, this was on Kickstarter. I, I got it. I got the premium edition. I also even kicked in at that time. He was sending them off to, public libraries around the world and stuff. I kicked in so that some paperback copies could go to library somewhere. I'll have to check my local library. You'll have to check it. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know how many of those got distributed. But what it is, is it looks very interesting. I was looking at the rules again. I've never quite played a game like this, uh, but it's... Um, well, let's not talk about it too much. I mean, that's a publishing. whole, that's a whole well, other episode next week. I'll I mean, just say, month. I got to say one last thing, though, yeah, but yeah. It, what it is, what it's supposed to emulate, what its purpose is. You got to always know what 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 it promises on the tin. It promises uh, to be adventures. Well, lost in the fantasy world, usually children who find themselves in a fantasy world and they're usually trying to find a way to get back and they're having adventures on the way. We'll expand on that next month. All right. Well, sounds good. Um I, I do want to say, you know, we don't do kind of, um, uh, how can I say it, uh, advertisements or any of this, but we have a lot of friends out there in the community. And I do want to return a favor to my friend Jason Duff at Earl of Fife Games. And he has an upcoming project on Kickstarter. And folks, uh, check it out. It's called Dungeons Deep and Caverns Old Secrets of Sacred of the Sacred Stone. So um, I'll put that also in the liner notes. It's a, with the Heroes and Hardship system, a system we have not covered, Gabe, but maybe one day we will. But uh, check it out. He was very helpful to me uh, when I was putting out my Burn 2D6 on Kickstarter and gave me a lot of great advice. So I just want to return the favor to Jason. So I'll put that all in the liner notes. So check it out. Dungeons Deep and Caverns, Old Secret Sacred Stone. It, it's launching soon on Kickstarter. But that's it, Gabe. That's... Uh, that's where we are. So everyone, we'll, we'll see you next month. And thanks for joining us. And, and again, leave us a call. Leave us a message. Look in the liner notes. Uh, give, our, give our phone line a little call. And we will play your, uh, your comments and do our best to respond to them. So again, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next month. See ya.